<clears throat> it's a powerful video. I've, I've seen it many times, and, uh, as well as the Passion of the Christ. And every time I see that scene, uh, I'm moved by it. Uh, I want to thank you for being here to worship with us. If you're joining us in one of our live worship experiences, don't forget to take advantage of that chat. Uh, if you have some friends here in the watching it with you, uh, there's a Bible and my notes are there available for you as well. If you're we're not watching this on, in one of our live worship experiences, then I'd encourage you next time to, to join us there. Invite somebody to join you. Uh, you can find a link on the top of our website uh, that takes you right to it in a way you can invite the folks to join you. So I pray that, that you were able to do that today. Um, I'd like to read today's text to you, with you today. It's from John chapter 19, verses 17 to 27. It reads this way. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There, there, there they crucified him with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign and for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, I have written what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each, each of them. And with the undergarment remaining, this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said. Let's decide by lot who, get, who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said that they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Amen. They tell us that this virus won't last forever and that at some point it will reach its peak when new cases, new infections when that number starts to decline, that we know we'll know that we're starting to get better. We can begin to breathe again. Uh, but right now, things are bad. Things are bad for those who are sick. Things are bad for those who are taking care of them. Uh, things are bad for their families, right? Even for those who are healthy, things are not good, right? We're worried. We're worried about getting sick. We're worried about our families getting sick. We're worried. We're dealing with the impact on our society because our government is worried about us all getting sick. I mean, from where we are right now, it's hard to see that, that there's an upside to this thing, at least not enough that would justify everything that's happening. Uh, but would you believe me if I told you that there is something good to come out of this? Would you like to hear what I think is good? Well, since you can't tell me no, I'm going to tell you anyway. I, see, I believe that right now God is calling the church to be what the church is called to be, was created to be, to focus on that. I believe that, that God is using this time to remind Christian families what it means to be a family. I believe he's, he's showing us all where our faith rests, where our hope lies. Many people, you see, have asked the question over the last days and over the centuries, actually, why do bad things continue to happen? My response is that bad things happen because the world is broken. The world is broken. Things aren't as God created them to be. People again and again do the wrong things. We choose to hurt rather than heal. We choose to greed over generosity. We choose to ignore rather than include. We, we choose wrongly. But God promises in Scripture to bless those who love him despite the circumstances. And I believe God is doing something right now, even more than what we can see or imagine, right? That Because that's what God does. But first, we have to get to this climax. 
In today's text, we get to the climax in the story of Jesus. Today's text is one of those where we, we see the awful happen right before our eyes. We're in John chapter 19, looking at, at what is inarguably the most horrific act of humanity. It's the death of Jesus, the, the crucifixion of Jesus. He's, think about all that's led up to this point, the false accusations of the only truly righteous person in the world, the rejection of a long-awaited Messiah by the very people he came to rescue, the betrayal of their rightful king in favor of a lesser human ruler, Caesar, the murder of the most glorious, the most worthy, the most innocent, most loving person to ever have lived, the worst thing done to a person ever. The cross, you see, became the best thing to ever happen to us, though. That's right, it's not your kids, not your grandkids, it's not, the, not a new house. Jesus, the cross is the best thing that God could do for you because through the cross, God restored you or gives us an opportunity to be restored to him. Many of you know this. Every time we choose, we fail to live God's way, we choose to do, our, do things that honor us rather than God, that's sin. And that sin is what separates us from God. But God, you see, chose to restore us to relationship with him through Jesus' death on the cross. That's why the cross is such a big deal for Christians. That's why we wear it around our necks. That's why we put it on our shirts. That's why we, we stick it in our, to our car bumpers. Because the cross is important. The cross is a big deal. But why the cross? That's a good question. Now, I know that when we talk about the cross, we're, we're talking about a lot more than wood that Jesus was nailed to, right? I, I saw a video of a friend who's home with his kids, Ray Massey, and he was teaching his kids to weld. And one of them made a, like a little stick figure out of uh, nuts or bolts. And, and one of them made a castle. And uh, so from now on, for the rest of their lives, probably, they'll think of welding differently because of that experience with their dad. It created a memory. It, it was, it, it'll mean so much more to them. And that's the way the cross is at the center of our faith. It means so much more than just a piece of wood. We're talking about Jesus, his suffering. We're talking about his death, his sacrifice, his love for us, all of it. The cross is at the center of our faith. Between the incarnation of God in the flesh and the resurrection, his conquering over death stands the cross. Jesus the, the object of our faith, cross-shaped. All of Jesus' life, you see, was, was living up to this point. All the miracles, all the teaching were for this moment. But why a cross? That's what I want us to think about today. Let me share for you a minute what, what the crucifixion was all about in the Roman world. You see, they used three different shaped crosses, some of an X, some of a capital T and some of a lowercase t with a little top on them, like the one Jesus was on. They weren't just instruments of death, but they were used because of the pain that was inflicted to bring about death. You see, they were much more than death. Those sentenced to die on a cross would often be beaten, rarely beaten to death, rarely beaten like Jesus, because that would make them die too quickly, you see. Romans wanted the pain to be extended. That was what it was all about, inflicting pain. Emotional pain, physical pain, any way that they could bring about pain. They'd strip their, the, the criminals naked and tie their hands and feet to the cross. Often, though, for the worst of criminals, they'd use nails through the, the, the central, I mean, the, the, 
the pain centers in our body through the wrists where the nerves pass and through our feet uh, where the nerves are congested in our feet and they would nail them to the cross and that in order to secure them there. The cross though didn't want, to, didn't want you to die quickly but to kill you slowly. So in fact, death on the cross was brought about by asphyxiation. In order to breathe, you see, when you were hanging by your hands, you would have to push yourself up with your own, through those nail-studded feet. It was all about pain. It was all about pain. We often get the idea that the crosses were up high in the air, but, but in, as a matter of fact, often though, though the crosses were down low, you were just off the ground so everybody could see you. You were at eye level with people. And eventually, when people would pass out, the Roman soldiers would come around and, and break your legs so that you could no longer push yourself up to breathe and you would die of suffocation. See, everything about the cross was about making people publicly suffer. Publicly suffer to mock them, to shame them for their crime. It was so bad, crucifixions were, that they would not crucify Romans. Now, remember the culture that we're in here. In, in, in the Eastern cultures, there's always this underlying tension of honor and shame. When you do the right things, you're honored and your family is honored. When you do the wrong things, you're shamed and your family is shamed. To the point that, that some people who were crucified, their families wouldn't even come and collect their bodies. The cross, you see, was designed to bring shame on the entire family. Jesus, all his followers. That's what the cross was about in the Roman world. That's what the crucifixion was about. It was about death and shame. So in answering the question, why a cross? We have to answer today, why did Jesus need to experience shame? We know that this has been where Jesus has, has been headed since his birth. Actually, since the beginning of time, this was his calling. And Pilate inaugurated it as he announced him, as he proclaimed him in all the languages for all the people to understand that Jesus of Nazareth is king of the Jews, lifting him high on the cross to shame the Jews. Now remember, why Jesus came to earth in the first place? It was to restore us to a relationship with God. And, and why did we need to be restored? It was because of our sin. You remember we just talked about that just a second ago. Paul wrote about it in the book of Galatians in 3.13. Galatians 3.13. He said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. See, Jesus became a curse for us. You see, it's, it's our sin that caused Jesus to be put on a cross. The shame, you see, wasn't about the Jews. Ultimately, it's ours, mine, yours. Our sin put Jesus on the cross, and we share in his death. But today, crosses are fashionable. It's a strange thing, though, when you think about it. It's like wearing an electric chair around your neck or something. But, but for someone who loves Jesus, wearing a cross... Is, is making a statement that, that I am nothing, that Jesus is everything, that Jesus did what I couldn't do. I've shared before that I was adopted, that I needed to be adopted, but I couldn't adopt myself. I needed somebody else to step into my situation and make it happen. My parents did. For Christians, the cross is much the same it's much more than a wooden object. It's someone stepping in and Jesus' love for us, his sacrifice for us, his compassion for us, his faithfulness, his dedication to God. 
And Pilate raised a cross to bring shame. But the irony is that in raising the cross, he actually pointed the world to God's glory. God was glorified because Jesus did what we could not, what he required. He lived faithfully and died obediently. He became born of a virgin. In the line of David, he fulfilled all the messianic prophecies that were required for the Messiah. I mean, Psalm 22 is full of them. 20, verses 14 and 15, it says, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It's melted within me. My soul is dried up like a pot and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. And in Isaiah 53, another one is powerful passages about the Messiah. He says, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. And the one that is in our passage today, all my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. See, the cross is where Jesus' whole life was headed. To the cross, to suffer, to be rejected, to be a servant, to glorify God, even if that meant a cross. We could say that Jesus' whole life was shaped by the cross, shaped by the principle that his life was not about him. His life, he, where he left the power behind, to be, he accepted to be humbled, to be humiliated, to be mocked for others, to be redeemed. As Christians, we worship Jesus. We love Jesus. And with God's grace at work in us, we strive to develop his character in our lives. And guess what that means? That our lives become cross-shaped as well. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the death that he had coming before him. And he told them, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross and follow me. See, living a cross-shaped life of Jesus, he glorified God. And when we live a cross-shaped life, we glorify God as well. So let me ask you, what would it mean to live a cross-shaped life today? In the midst of this coronavirus, what would it look like to live a cross-shaped life? <laughs> let me make it easy for you. It would mean the same thing if there weren't a coronavirus going around. It would mean living for him, living to glorify God. We point people to Jesus by living out the gospel, loving others, serving others, helping others. That's what Paul wrote about in Galatians 2.20 when he said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This life that I live now, I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I live for Jesus as we serve our neighbor, as we call and visit one another, as we check on others, as we deliver food to those in need. We're given a platform to show the world Jesus. We get an opportunity to lift him up. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though Christ were at work, as though God were making his appeal through us. Through us. We serve others. We exercise our gifts. We point people to Jesus. Pilate, you see, he raised Jesus up on a cross in order to shame and control the people of God. As we proclaim and display Jesus as our king, we honor God. And the, Jesus makes the whole world his people. I ask you, if you're on social media this week, to share your faith. 
Everyone is, is on it and many will see. Let, let's show the world that we live cross-shaped lives, willing and ready to, to serve our neighbor, to bring joy and encouragement into every situation. That, that we seek him to, to make this season better, even though it's not easy, it's not fun, but our joy rests in Jesus, not in, in, not in our ability to get back to normal as quickly as we can, you see? That's what we can show the world. We can lift Jesus up in our words and our deeds. Second, we live a cross-shaped life when we find our freedom and obedience. See, Jesus was free to do just what God wanted him to do. He wasn't bound to what his friends wanted. He, he wasn't bound to the priest. He wasn't bound to Pilate or even to his mother's Mary's ideas. He was free. He was free to fully obey God. Living a cross-shaped life, we choose to live, not for ourselves, but for Jesus. Living for him, we allow, we allow him to make the most of our bad situations. And when God is at work in us and through us, the best thing that can happen to us is and those around us is, is God at work in us. That is the best thing that can happen. I had the opportunity to pray with a wonderful woman this week, a couple days before she passed away. I asked her if there was anything that she would do differently. She said, no, absolutely not. You know, I've talked to many people before they died uh, in the later stages of their life. And, you know, I've never had a single one of them who was a follower of Jesus say that they wish they hadn't trusted Jesus. I've, I've had talked to many others who didn't trust him and, and they wondered if they had done enough in life. If that's you, if you wonder if you've done enough, let me tell you, no, you haven't. Unless the, the first thing, the thing at the top of that list is that you surrendered your life to him. That's the only thing that matters. And if you haven't done that, then why not today? Why not today? Why not today? Just give your life to Jesus, to ask him to come and, and rule and reign in your life and, and, and to change you, to change your heart, to give your life purpose, to make you significant, to, to see you through this storm that we're in. No matter how long you've been coming to church, you can live a cross-shaped life. You can live a cross-shaped life. You can grow in the character of God, the character of Jesus, who sought to honor God, who sought to obey God, to glorify Him. If that's you, I want to pray for you. If you're trusting Him for the first time, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask us all to pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for receiving us, for changing us, for, for, for reshaping us into your image. God, for those who are hearing these words today and are going to surrender their lives to you the first time, God, I ask you just to meet them right where they are today. That they would sense your spirit at work in them, God. You would draw them close. You would help them to understand just how much you love them. You'd show them the life that you have for them, God confirm in their hearts right in this moment that yes, you are at work. Move in their life, Lord. Give them a new life and we thank you for it as they surrender it back to you, God, to use them for something amazing in the days to come. And for those of us who are your disciples, God, I ask that you would just, you would encourage us, you would inspire us to live a cross-shaped life, that we'd seek to glorify you in all places, that, that we point to you God, that we'd seek to obey you. That we wouldn't 
that we wouldn't seek to, to our direction from anyone else but you. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you in spite of all that's going on in our world that you are faithful and that we hold on to you. We love you, God. We praise you today. Amen. I ask you if you join me for our benediction today. It's the one we use every week, and, and I think it's very appropriate for what we're going, what's going on in our world today, all right? If you join me. Life is much more than an accident. Wherever I go, I believe that God needs me there. Wherever I am, I trust that God has put me there, that he has a purpose for me being there, and that is Christ alive in me, seeking to do something through me right where I am. I believe this, and I go in his grace and his love and his power. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week, and we hope to see you soon, okay? Be, stay healthy. We love you. Bye-bye.